Dotnet Rocks, episode 1032, with guest Dan Wallin. Recorded Tuesday, August 26th, 2014. Yeah, buddy. Hey, man. Hey. I'm having a good time. No complaints. No complaints. Kids back at school, you know, life back to normal. It's the fall. Project funded. I'm looking forward to making some music. Writing some good code, too. I'm, you know, trying to get AppV Next off the ground. And one of the things we're doing is curating a whole bunch of open source projects to put under this brand. Interesting. And I've got tons of stuff that I've never released that I use all the time. That I'm going to uh, be open and sourcing. Let oh, me, nice. You want me to tell you about one? Put up some projects. Yeah, sure. Make it a better no framework. Well, I can't yet because it's not out there, but I'll tell oh, okay. you what's coming. And then I, I got another thing for better no framework. So what's coming is a, a tool called Browser Bridge. Browser Bridge. Browser Bridge. Okay. Browser Bridge is a, an, uh, a wrapper around Signal R that just makes it drop dead easy to go from Windows Desktop to the browser. Nice. Now, I don't know, yesterday, if you heard yesterday's show with Pete Brown, we talked about these new little devices that run, guess what? Windows. Ah. Any skew of Windows, including Windows Desktop. So, you can write these bridges that do things like, oh, I don't know, speech recognition, and then send that data with SignalR into your browser. Cool. Yeah. So that's it, and and it and it it makes it simple. I'm going to do a a NuGet package for it, and uh, it's basically a library on the on the WPF side or on the Windows side, and it just makes all of that goo go away. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yep, be a good project. That'll be a good one. All right, roll that funky music. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? Give her some funked up music. She treats you nice. Okay. As one person used to say. Uh, <laughs> Only one. I have found a pretty cool site that I have never heard anybody talk about before. Oh, interesting. So I think this might be a scoop. Uh, it's called Code Chef. Code Chef? Codechef.com. Code Chef. All right, so it was started by a, a consulting company or some some developer company in in uh, uh, or an internet products company based in Mumbai. All right, okay. but what they do is they they wanted to foster a community and learning, and so every week they have this contest, and in the con- it's a programming contest. So you basically uh, take a challenge. And then you submit your code, and then they have awards that they give out and things like that. All right. Yeah. So they have these cook-offs, right? Yeah. And I'm just pulling up one. Uh, there was like a, a algorithms, like a permutation shuffle, a tree game, um, counting digits, paint the tree. Like, you know, all these kinds of very cool challenges. And then people submit them and they, you know, so, so it's really cool for anybody who's just trying to keep their skills sharp and they want a sort of a community and projects to do and interact with without having to, uh, you know, think of it themselves or, 
uh, you know, work in a vacuum. Well, back in real life, you know, you don't get to write the code you want most of the time. People tell you what they need. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. All right, man. That's it. That's all I got. Awesome. Code chef, singular.com. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1017, the one we did with Mike Wood, where we talked about migrating to Azure. Yeah. Since we got a little bit of a cloudy conversation today, I thought it might be uh, appropriate. And Phil says, regarding developers of virtual machines, there was some talk about deploying VMs for dev workstations. I love VMing dev environments in the same ways that you talked about, trying new releases or new bits without having to risk my local install stability and cleanliness. I understand in the contractor and hired gun scenarios that that kind of makes sense too. He's talking about, hey, let's not have... Uh, our code leave the office. You just remote into a VM. Uh, in that case where a project needs a specific set of technologies, say a particular version of Silverlight or requires Studio 2010 only, okay, that makes sense too. But I recoil and shudder when I hear or think of using a virtual machine for everyday development. Why do teams of devs need VMs every day? Hmm. I, could it be, and he gave a list, uh, different versions of patch deployments of Studio across the dev team? Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Avoiding DLL hell. Yeah, yeah, that's possible too. Sometimes that still happens. Yeah, yeah. Special configuration. Let's face it, every configuration is special, really. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe or so. as Richard said, uh, configuration of the virtual machine matches production, and that gets rid of a class of errors. That yep. is absolutely true also. All of the above is solved by a build server, ALM, continuous integration, TFS, etc., where the devs are committing code changes to a version control system. Nah, that's not true. Just because that doesn't mean you're not, you know, it doesn't mean you have a record of how you change the environment. It doesn't stop you from changing the environment and introduce a class of bugs. It just makes it easier for you to track down the fact of who did it. It's an incentive device. Yeah. So, you know, but there's an argument here about saying your own copy of Visual Studio could be on a bare metal machine, but the web server you're working against or the service that you're working against is living in a VM that is configured the same in production. That's how you avoid the errors by never building anything that won't run on the production configuration. It is just too easy to change that configuration as a developer and get far away from what the production environment looks like and then get into this nasty class of bugs. Uh, Phil continues with, uh, don't rely on a particular configuration of a developer's workstation for successful builds and deployments. Absolutely. The build server is the one producing the bits. Otherwise, you've got a reliance on something tenuous and vulnerable to change, mm. which is insanity. Mm. And I would argue that having a build server is dangerous, too. You want to be able to dynamically create it. And this is where the new code as configuration, this ability to just generate it because you literally know everything that's in it. Mm -hmm. So the build, you know, you, the VM then stands up, builds itself, and does a build of the app and pushes it out. And then it can tear it all down again, which is, again... A lot of cloud behavior these days. The cloud just encourages this keeping your configurations clean. Right. But my favorite line in this whole comment from Phil is the very last one, who says, when I'm building a dev workstation, I use Boxstarter and Chocolatey. Yeah. And I don't know that we've ever talked about Boxstarter on .NET Rocks. Not Boxstarter, but Chocolatey, certainly. Yeah. We talked about it on Run As Radio, which, by the way, Mr. Chris Sells had a very nice tweet the other day that uh, said, I just discovered the wonder and beauty that is Run As Radio. Oh, isn't that awesome? That's nice. And you haven't heard of Run As Radio, it's at runasradio.com. And we do talk about Boxstarter because Boxstarter is a tool for setting up a machine. What OS, what configuration settings, all the apps and so forth. You run it as a script, it does the whole thing super fast. And then, of course, Chocolatey is about getting down... Your uh, dev patches and and all of the different tools that you want to use in your development environment. 
So you can, if you take the time, build out a workstation really, really quickly using those tools. Okay. So, Phil, awesome thoughts. Thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, for Windows 8, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and iOS. And before we go any further, let me tell you Pluralsight is home to the largest technology and creative training library on the planet. They have thousands of developer, IT, and creative courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They release dozens of new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight offers a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything and everything on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And that brings us to Dan Waleen. Dan is back. He founded the Waleen Group at thewaleengroup.com. That's W-A-H-L-I-N which specializes in .NET, JavaScript, jQuery, Angular, HTML5, and SharePoint consulting, as well as on-site and online training solutions. He's a Microsoft Regional Director and has been an MVP for ASP.NET Connected Systems and Client Dev. Currently ASP.NET, Dan? Uh, Actually, Client Dev. Currently Client Dev. There you go. He also speaks all around the world, is author of several uh, best-selling books, and just a great guy. Dan Waleen, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Always good to be on with you guys. Always good to be here. You've been doing a fair bit of work with Office 365? We have. Um, yeah, we did a little prototype project with AngularJS, uh, Azure Active Directory Services, and uh, SharePoint Office 365 for Microsoft. And uh, yeah, it's been both educational and actually pretty fun. You know, for anybody who doesn't dip their feet in that world... And, and, you know, it's, it can sometimes be product soup for us, you know, because these terms, they don't really mean anything unless you kind of know technically what they do. But, um, you know, SharePoint and Office 365 getting together like peanut butter and chocolate, you know, what's, what is this stuff now? I mean, tell, just give us a, a brief overview of, of what, what's possible. Yeah, and I, I I totally agree with you because you know when when you talk about all the different uh, you know web jobs you can do and all the different Azure features, and then you got Office three sixty five with its own set of APIs, and so the ones we use to kind of break it down in easy terms because I had to go through the same exact thing to understand what the heck is all this and these different APIs. Um, is basically, uh, so you have Active Directory services, which is uh, basically Active Directory in the cloud. Um, and we're using that to authenticate. And then really what we're doing there is we connect that into Office 365 so that credentials uh, that are authenticated with uh, Microsoft, I call it MAD. I don't know if everyone else calls it that, but it's Microsoft um, Azure Active Directory. Okay. Or or MAD. <laughs> um, I think it sounds cooler than ADS He's back or and he's mad. <laughs> he's authenticating and he's mad. Um, so what you end up doing is uh, with Active Directory services, you can uh, go in and do your, your normal credentials, kind of like you would do on-site, but of course it's in the cloud. And then you can hook that up into different other application uh Frameworks. It could be a local app in Azure, or of course, you could do you know Office three six five. And so, what ends up happening is you log into that, you get back a token, 
Um, and then you're going to be using that token to actually call into, in our case, the Office 365. Uh, it's really the, the SharePoint RESTful APIs. And uh, the app itself was, uh, which is all up on GitHub. We'll talk more about that. But it was uh, kind of a proof of concept of, hey, what if I already have data that's up uh, in SharePoint, uh, specifically Office 365 kind of flavor of that? Um, what if I want to get that out into an external app? And so the app we built is based uh, on AngularJS, and then there's a little bit of ASP.NET, MVC, and some HTTP handler type stuff, a mm-hmm. little bit we'll talk about. And then that communicates up to the RESTful APIs. And so what you end up getting is a standalone web app that authenticates into MAD, which then calls over to Office 365 SharePoint, and then calls the RESTful APIs, and then you get the data back. So that's kind of the whole how everything okay. fits together. Yeah, that's pretty cool. What what besides just using Office, what kinds of solutions can you uh, provide using Office three sixty five as you know a development platform? Yeah, so you can actually if if you have an Office three sixty five account. Now I've only touched you know to be real upfront here. I've only touched the SharePoint side of it, but I've seen uh, it, we went through a lot of hoop jumping on some of this because we were. We were sort of the guinea pigs on this newer thing. And uh, you can uh, tie into like uh, an Outlook type API that's online. Um, and then they have Office type product APIs online. Um, and so they have actual RESTful APIs that you can get into, you know, your mailbox and all that type of stuff. Of course, once you're authenticated and integrate with them. And then for our stuff, uh, 100% of what we did was integrating with, you know, these, these SharePoint RESTful APIs, which aren't new. Um, you know, SharePoint 2007 had web services and then 2010 made it more RESTful. And then, you know, 2013 continues that. All right. So basically the APIs just allow you to get to the data that you have in your various Office 365 apps. So, you know, if you've got data in a, in a spreadsheet somewhere in an Excel spreadsheet online, that you want to just access, you know, and, and authentication is really the key here. But you want to just load it up and access that in a separate, you know, for maybe for reporting or for display only in a separate app. You know, that kind right. of thing. That's what the API is really all about. Yeah, you know, you might have, a, you know, a mobile app uh, that you want to put together and you need to tie into some aspects of your office data. So, yeah, you can use these APIs to do that. All right, pretty cool. So let's get into the to the SharePoint implementation. What's um what's difficult about that? That requires <laughs> yeah. so much work. And and why you know, I thought SharePoint was easy. Well, yeah, I don't know who might have said that. <laughs> <laughs> easy yeah, somebody might have been paid off to say that, but um it's it's getting a lot better, I'll say that, than it used to be in the, you know, say 2007 version. Mm. Um, but yeah, we, uh, so the kind of the goal here was, hey, I already have, you know, my boss has us using SharePoint for, say, expenses. Mm-hmm. And we just have kind of three simple SharePoint lists up in the site, this Office 365 site. Um, you know, we have the employees, then we have expenses, and then we just have like states and stuff to okay. associate with an expense. So um, the goal was, hey, I already have my data out there. And in this particular case, it's a little bit different because a lot of people have done this actually with uh, on-site premises, you know, versions of SharePoint, mm-hmm. whereas this one's totally up, you know, hosted in the cloud. 
So the goal was write a single page application, a SPA that can tie into this data and make it so that uh, if you're just like a JavaScript, you know, guy or gal, um, that you can actually pull this data without having to be an expert in SharePoint. Okay. And that's kind of the goal of the app. So what we ended up having to do there was there was some hoop jumping. I won't lie. That's um, we had several days. A good friend of mine, uh, his name is Spike Xavier, um, helped me out with the project. He's kind of the the SharePoint side guru. And uh, some of the challenges were the uh, currently the Active Directory services. It works actually very well, but when you get back this token, there's not a really easy way to know when that thing expires without doing some checks. Um, on your own. And the reason for that is there's a brand new little, it's a Visual Studio extension for Office. Uh, well, specifically Office 365 that you can get installed in Visual Studio. And you can right click and add what's called a connected service. And what that'll do is build in some plumbing into your app. And you can do this with pretty much any app, an ASP.NET app, or, you know, we just had kind of an HTML Angular, Angularized app. Um, and you can uh, get this code they give you to sort of springboard the process of integrating with Active Directory services. And that part's actually coming along, I think, really nicely. They've uh, recently updated it in the last couple of weeks. And the code from what we were first given uh, is definitely getting a lot easier to work with, I think. The challenge we ran into, though, was that uh, what ends up happening is this, this is all server-side type uh, code, this connected service you can register in your app. And what ends up happening is that, you know, the token might expire. And uh, obviously if the token expires, you're not going to be getting too far when you try to call up into the cloud. So the other challenge we ran into were right now, there's no support for JSON P or cores, um, cross origin resource sharing, you know, cross domain Ajax calls. Okay. And when your entire app is Ajax, that, that's a little bit challenging as well. It's a bit well. of a limiting factor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we had a little fun with that as well. Um, and what we ended up having to do there is build a uh, kind of middleman proxy HTTP handler mm-hmm. that lives in our domain. And then it actually calls into the Office 365 uh, RESTful APIs. Um, and that's where the challenge came in, though, is, well, what if the token expired? And, you know, how do you get a fresh token? Because if it's an Ajax call, you, t- you can't just redirect from your, you know, abc.com or acmecorp.com, whatever it is, over to, uh, you know, a SharePoint uh, or Azure login screen because that, you know, kind of breaks the cross domain thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that part of it was kind of fun, <laughs> to I, say the least. And there, that that turned out to be the the best architecturally solution i mean things like a a service bus wouldn't have helped you because of the security requirements yeah so the the challenge there was we were we were supposed to make it so that you could run this app kind of anywhere okay uh not just in azure so the you know the app might actually run on your local servers or it could run in azure and yeah that might be an option actually um with like a service bus but in this particular case, we were we were kind of given specific instructions, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. on how to how they wanted it built out. Mainly because we were trying to we we got to write up a nice little document at the end uh, of all the 
we'll call it the fun document. <laughs> um, it's what I did then, on my summer vacation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and submitted that, and then they're you know taking that as feedback. So kind of the goal was, hey, let's identify some of the spots that work really well, some of the spots we need to work on, and um, you know for the most part it was actually pretty smooth. Once we figure things out, the one of the big challenges was some of the stuff just isn't documented super well yet. Yep. Hey, uh, this is a really good time to talk about coder camps. Coder Camps is changing the way people learn .NET and JavaScript. If you've been learning .NET on your own, these guys can get you the skills that you need to get hired in just nine weeks. They've been around for over a year. The results are amazing. Everyone who's graduated has been hired within 90 days. And now they've made it even better by letting students attend camp online. Check them out at CoderCamps.com. Dan, what was the the actual app? I mean, I, it sounds like it was an, an experiment, but you know, did you have a, a scenario you're working through? Yeah, so it's a it's a little expense manager. Okay. So the SharePoint site uh, up in the cloud has uh, you know some kind of fictitious expense data, right? Um, what Microsoft's doing here is they have uh, it's if you go to GitHub.com/slash/office-dev. They have a whole kind of suite of demo apps they're building up to show off some of the Office 365 APIs and SharePoint and all that fun stuff. Um, so I don't know if you guys have ever talked with like uh, Jeremy Thake at all, uh, who's at Microsoft now. He's a SharePoint guru. He uh, like he just did a video up at, that's up on the uh, GitHub site. So the goal of this app was kind of a you know it's, it's a prototype. Uh, but to show off, because there just wasn't much out there for doing what we were doing. In fact, sure. there was, I can tell you there was very little because I got, I always consider myself pretty good at my, you know, Google Foo or Bing Foo or whatever you like, <laughs> but the Foo wasn't working so good some days it turned <laughs> out. Somebody has to write the first version of the content. <laughs> I right. suspect it's you. <laughs> it, it, in some cases, it turns out it was. There was just some stuff where you're like, how the heck is this supposed to work? And luckily, we uh, we had some cool guys up in DPE, which is you know the evangelism group at Microsoft, that kind of would at least point us in the right direction if they knew. Right. <laughs> um and then we actually, they, they put us in touch with a couple of guys, uh, at least on one or two occasions that worked on the actual API and that, you know, they could obviously help out. But yeah, that part was challenging. Now, is the Office 365 APIs purely ways to get at SharePoint data in the cloud? No, not just SharePoint. Yeah, they have uh, demos of like, you know, Office products as in like, uh, I want to integrate Office 365, you know, get into Outlook type, you know, Exchange type, I guess you could say data with... Okay. You know, Android, for instance. Um, a lot of what they have up there is sort of related to SharePoint, but they're also starting to build more samples where uh, you can integrate with these other, other Office 365 APIs. So anything you could think of at Office 365, in theory, you should be able to get at. Yeah, you know, I don't, having only worked with the SharePoint side so far, right. um, I haven't dealt with the others. I, I did come across a lot of the docs on that, which seemed to be better documented than what we had to call. Hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know the full extent of what they offer there. I'd have to look into that more. But it looks, yeah, it looks like there's a bunch of different calls. Is this all like REST style calls? It's just service calls? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about, you know, all these samples. I haven't looked at them all. There's but, a ton um, of samples. I'm kind of in awe. Like the list is spectacular. Yeah. And they're growing more and more. And, you know, they have like, you know, 
uh, Andrew Connell, Scott Hillier, uh, all these guys are contributing. So it's pretty cool. Right. And, and your project is in here, right? Is this the Angular JS expense manager code sample? Yeah, that is it. Yeah. All so, right, so we click get on see, that baby. You see your code too. <laughs> yep. And all I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, this, uh, there's a little video there that, uh, Jeremy put together from Microsoft and it'll kind of walk you through the app on channel nine. Nice. So you actually, I mean, I just like this whole idea of, you know, you've been working in the spa space for a long time. This is just building extensions onto it to be able to get it more different kinds of data. Exactly. Uh, the first thing when we were going through this, uh, my buddy Spike, you know, he's like, well, why don't I just use a database? Because he's a big SharePoint guy. Sure. And I'm like, well, if that's where our data was in the first place, absolutely. I would say it would make total sense. But with the popularity of SharePoint in corporations, you know, you have all this data up there that you might want to pull into an Android app or an iPhone or a Windows phone or, you know, whatever app. Or maybe you want to use AngularJS or Ember or one of these. Right. So with these APIs, you can do all that now. So it's just, they, they don't convert your data. Leave it where it is. Although it needs to be in SharePoint in the cloud. Mm. For this particular example, yeah. Um, right. You could do this with on-site SharePoint as well, because they also have these APIs. Um, it'd just be a, it'd be a different process. But yeah, SharePoint, uh, 2007, they had, you know, just web services. And then 2010, they introduced the RESTful kind of APIs. Uh, and they're just continuing. Yeah, and, and but it brings up a really interesting point with this idea that, you know, the, this particular demo may be in the cloud, but it could be run on-prem as well. And the modern, we've done a few point shows recently on SharePoint, and, and it seems like the development model has changed. I, I would think it, a few years ago, if you talked about this project, they would say, well, build the whole thing in SharePoint, make web parts, and just call into that with your phone. And that would, That's I think, exactly. be way harder. This looks... While it looks like there's more moving parts, you get much more control over the page if you're just making an API call into SharePoint. Totally. And that's having done a lot of the good old, you know, WSP packaging and all that fun stuff you could do uh, back in like the 2007 SharePoint version. Yeah. The nice thing about this, yeah, is, you know, if I wanted to run this in SharePoint, I could, you know, yes. you could just use, uh, you know, a, a page part and suck in, uh, suck in the app if you wanted, even external. But, uh, yeah, what's nice about it is now, like in this app, literally, I didn't write one line of code that I had to actually use the, you know, SharePoint namespace or SharePoint classes. I didn't write any of that. Um, I just and had you're a happier integrate. person because of it. <laughs> yeah, in general, yeah. Having <laughs> 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 done a lot of that. I mean, that stuff is suit not to, you know, there's still a lot of that going on, obviously. Sure. Uh, in the, you know, in the consulting world and things. And I've done a lot of that with, uh, we did a big project a long time ago with uh, a hospital system, Catholic Healthcare West. And, uh, you know, there's still a lot of that going on, obviously. But yeah, I think the the kind of easier way to do it in most cases, I think, is if you just need the data um, and you don't need web parts and all that fun stuff, then uh, these RESTful APIs work pretty well. Well, especially when you're talking about getting down to phones. Like, I'm trying mm. to imagine saying responsive design and SharePoint in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say that out loud? I feel bad. Okay, I don't feel that's that actually, bad. But that's look, that's not what it was funny. built for. That's not they never thought that way. So if you're taking on mobile web problems yeah. and trying to get it 
you know, from SharePoint, you, this sounds like the logical way to go about it. You, you could just market it as it's kind of like SharePoint, but it's smart and fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, I didn't say oh. that one. Uh, yeah, the uh, and our app, I, we didn't put a lot of work into it, but ours is actually responsive. Um, right. So what? you can actually pull it up on your phone and it if you got it going, you know, and you could uh, technically view it. One that just sort of speaks to the, the one of the things with the whole Angular approach with that front end is you pretty much fall into responsive design. Yep, that's yep. really interesting, dude. Like that, and it just brings up a valid point. You don't have to love or hate SharePoint here. You've got data in your enterprise there. Rather than do the battle for the migration, just call into it. Right. Get the stuff you need and build what you need to build with it. Yeah, and uh, they, they're kind of really pushing that because if you look through this, you know, github.com slash office dev, um, you'll see there's a, a, you know, Office 365 SDK for Android and there's some other demos in there that are actually specific to, I mean, they're not even Microsoft. <laughs> you know, it's just wow. the Microsoft open tech stuff. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. You got it. Time to manage the expenses of .NET Rocks by getting me head out of the clouds and riding the rainbow to a fast, responsive pot of gold bejesus. Holy man, did you really go down the Irish stereotype for a joke? I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> and it's funny that the, the Office 365 is running in an I- Irish data center. How did that happen? It is really kind of coincidental. Totally yeah. coincidental. Yeah. I love it's it. It's actually time to give away Sync Fusion Essential Studio to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who won today, say goodbye to boring enterprise apps. Sync Fusion Essential Studio offers more than 500 controls to help you build stunning applications. Just released, an amazing set of ASP.NET controls 100% powered by JavaScript. Download a free trial at SyncFusion.com today. SyncFusion also has published over 40 completely free ebooks on topics ranging from Hadoop to assembly. Each book, written by a leading expert, contains 100 pages of wholesome technical content with no fluff. Head to SyncFusion.com slash ebooks to get your copy now. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Jim Rynieri. Congratulations, Jim. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Clappity, clappity, clap, clap. The clapper. And Jim just won the SyncFusion Essential Studio, a big pile of awesome from SyncFusion. And if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we give away great sponsors' products. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the fan club. Dan, it's your turn. If you had five grand to spend on technology... What would you buy? Ooh. First thing I'd get, because uh, I've been researching the uh, docking feature of it, is a uh, Surface Pro 3, probably. Oh, yeah. Because I got that new dock that's awesome. It looks awesome. Yeah. I, I just want to replace my big old, like, too heavy because I'm getting out of shape, you know, box I have. Big old box. <laughs> and just have that Surface Pro 3. But that would only take up. Uh, even if I get the top of the line i7 with 512 SSD, you know, with the dock, you're probably looking at only two grand or something two like that. Two grand, Maybe yeah, twenty five hundred, yeah, something like that. So you must with spend the, more money. Yeah, I must spend more. I just get one for my wife too. <laughs> She'd like that. 
<laughs> there you go. Problem there solved. There you go. I got a new toy, sweetie. Don't worry. I got you one, too. <laughs> That's right. I think I'd get just a great big box of these new Windows uh, devices. You know, these little boards that are like 100 bucks that you can program now. No, the Galileo boards? Yeah. Oh, my God. I have 50 those. of those. <laughs> Take over the world. Yep. Nice. Go back and listen to yesterday's show. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Oh, did you, did you say you had Pete on? We had Pete yeah. on yesterday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's... Pete's the master of all kinds of hardware type stuff, so very cool. Yep. All right, I I think we pounded around with the API side. Should we talk a little more about the uh, Active Directory stuff? Because I I am really impressed with what Microsoft's done as far as bringing OAuth and Active Directory authentication together. Like it, to me, it seems like a coherent bridge now. <sighs> Yeah, it's uh, it's surprisingly easy, and here's why. I mentioned that once you install, there's a, and I'll get you guys a link you can put in the show, but there's a uh, a little extension for Visual Studio you can install that I'm sure will just be rolled into one of the updates uh, coming, or it might even be in the current one. I'd have to look. But you can literally right-click on your project, and uh, when you go to the Add menu, you're going to see this uh, Connected Service. And uh, here, let me walk you through it now, like you can see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, your plural um, site chops are showing. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Let me show you what it looks like, guys. What's wrong um, with this? But when you bring it up, it'll uh, it'll actually give you the option to, you know, you got to log in first, of course, to your, uh, your ADS site. And then uh, once you create that, which is just, you, you kind of get a default one created when you set up your Azure uh, type uh, site and all that. And uh, from there, you can actually pick what type of apps. You can add third-party apps like, you know, this uh, expense manager and register it. But you don't even have to. If you use this tool I'm talking about, this services manager, connected services manager, mm-hmm. it'll actually add a C-sharp little uh, class and some readme code into your project so that you really don't even have to know what you're doing very much. So if you're doing like an ASP.NET app, it's much easier because you're not having to worry, uh, you know, about the cross-domain issues. You can just right. call the APIs directly. Um, a little more challenging with, you know, Ajax and things uh, with cross-domain. But this will actually give you all the code. Or you can go in, and we have a little walkthrough up on the uh, GitHub site for this project. And it'll actually walk you through sort of what the ADS uh, stuff actually looks like and, you know, all that fun stuff as well and how to set it up. And it's actually, I mean, you can get your third-party app integrated with ADS in, I haven't timed myself, but gosh, I, I bet you it wouldn't take you more than like five minutes. Wow. Uh, you'll be up and running. It, it's pretty easy to get going, but even easier than that is just get it set up and use this connected service feature that they're building. And it's still a preview. So it's like it changed 100% from the first code we wrote. In fact, <laughs> my first check-in uh, to GitHub, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was Jeremy. Uh, somebody was at Microsoft was trying it out. He's like, hey, this nothing works. And I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't work? We just finished the project. <laughs> And uh, it turns out the new version of, he had the new version of this connected service thing, which is a whole new kind of brand of code. Uh, So, you know, it's still a little bit in flux, but it's really nice. And it'll make it so that you don't really have to know. I'm I'm looking real quick here. Our entire, which includes some really custom stuff, about 109 lines of code, but 
of that, we only wrote maybe, I don't know, like 25 of that or right, something. Huh? Because just they just inject together. Into, yeah, yeah, it just flies in and then we had to, you know, tweak some things. So, so I mean, and the effect then is when you go to the site, it just pops in a login dialogue as per normal and you enter your Active Directory credentials. Exactly. Exactly. So and then domain name slash username and then password. That's right. And then assuming you've hooked in your kind of external app, you know, register, it's, it's really similar to what you do like on Facebook. You know, a lot of people want to integrate their app with Facebook or one right. of these other sites. It's the yeah. same exact type of fill. And that's the OAuth 2 part, right? Is that that the yep. whole thing about OAuth 2 is you can make a hook into Facebook, a hook into Google, a hook into Twitter, and now you can hook into Active Directory services as well. That's right. Yep. And so you don't even have to do with this component. Um, they, they, like I said, they just upgraded it and they have this, uh, discovery context object, they call it. And, uh, what the discovery context does is it, it'll actually go out and, uh, do the redirect for you. Right. To the login page and then redirect you back to the app and it does all that for you. It's kind of just built in. Nice. Of course, the tricky part here is if, you know, if you're just getting started with this, your Active Directory is inside your firewall. You've got to get it to Azure. You've got to use ADFS and actually make the connection. I don't know. I don't imagine you had to deal with that part. Thankfully, no. Because, <laughs> you know, my I expertise. ran my old IT hat on my head here. It's like, hey, that's really a lot of fun, let me tell you. <laughs> I, I bet that is like, you know, birthday party type fun, I bet. Oh, yeah. dude. Um, AD, well, the new ver I'm being mean. The new version's better. First and foremost, if anybody's actually looking at this problem, you need to look at server 2012 R2. Yeah. Because that's the third version of ADFS, and we all know what happens on the third version. Magic version. Right. Although you're not allowed to call it that. Apparently, they get very angry if you call uh, it Oh, well, we don't work yeah. for Microsoft, though, so yeah, that's so you okay. you have to call it Active Directory Federation Services for Windows Server 2012 R2. Yeah, but only when you're not talking to developers. <laughs> you talking right. To but that version hooked to your AD with your AD upgraded, and then you sign up your Azure account, use Active Directory services, and hook the two things together. And honest to God, it just works. Like it's, I'm, I'm staggered every time it works, but it does. That's a good thing. And yeah, then on the it, developer side, you get to come in with this new OAuth module, and it's just, it's like your Google. Surprise! You can OAuth against it. <laughs> Yeah, and once you get the, like I said, if you're doing server-side stuff, you know, MVC or web forms or something like that, um, it's actually, I don't want to, trivial might be too easy of a term, yeah, but it's, not that it's, easy. And we, it's close to trivial. <laughs> we, all, we all suffer from this disease. You may have banged your head against the screen for a month <laughs> to make this work the first time, but the second time, it's easy. <laughs> yeah, I, I can, and I can honestly say I did do that for a month <laughs> for this particular app. <laughs> luckily, luckily we had the benefit of uh, Microsoft behind us, so I could ping a few people, you know, in the process. But right, um, yeah, on my own, it would have been uh, very, very tricky. I mean, I, I literally had to. Uh, so I mentioned the token expiration, and it, it's really designed to be run from you know a, a server side or desktop or something like that process in C sharp. Right. So there's really not an easy API you just call into and just say, "Hey, is my token available?" And the answer is uh, you don't know. And so what'll happen is normally that's not a big deal. If if it has to refresh it, it'll just refresh it automatically. But like I said earlier, if you're making an AJAX call, that just caused a cross domain error. To be thrown. Yeah. Right. 
So what we have to do there is actually in Angular, we have to listen for uh, 401 errors. And then we have to do a temporary redirect and then try to get you back into the spa where you were. And that's where it gets a little bit tricky. And So you do a dummy call just to validate the tokens live? Yeah. Well, in that case, what I ended up having to do, um, I had to break out good old, uh, uh, oh, shoot, what's Telerik's uh, Just Decompile or something like that? Yeah. Um, so I had to use that guy. And, you know, I could have used any of those out there. But... Uh, because they, they store the token in a session uh, on you know the server in ASP.NET, uh, MVC, web forms, whatever you're using. Well, the problem is you don't know what that session's called, the key, and there's no right. API to right now. And I'm, I'm hoping they're going to change. That was part of my fun document I turned in. Yes. Was mm-hmm. please make an API where you can check this easily. Um, yeah. And I haven't even looked with the newest release. They might have already added that. But... So in the current app, what we have to do is actually kind of a little hack to figure out. I had to go look up in the source code. What the heck are you calling your session token so I can see if it's still there? <laughs> and this is where it got fun. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that'll get better and better. And this is a really early preview of this code I mentioned. So, well, And I appreciate, uh, you, you know, Dan, you're clearly writing the the leading edge sample so that all of us can figure this stuff out. And right. I appreciate that you're pushing it back to Microsoft to say, you need to make this better. Yeah. What do you see as the better solution? Should they solve the cross domain call problem or should do they just have to wrap more services? So you have a one domain to call to. Yeah, I think two things. Number one, uh, if they could just make the API a little bit easier to check on the status of things and get yeah. the token easily. And, you know, is it alive? Is it dead? Do I need to refresh it? All that fun. Regardless of whatever you're writing, you know, client side or more server centric or even desktop apps, um, that would be super useful. We found right. The second one is, yeah, if we could just get cores enabled, that would solve tons of problems. Can we talk um, about cores? Uh, yeah. So cores for, and yeah, that's a good comment because a lot of people aren't aware of it. A lot of people have used like Jason P. Uh, to do cross-domain calls, which is just basically a GET request through uh, a script tag. It's a, it's a total hack, but it's been used for years and years now to do cross-domain calls with AJAX, but it only supports GET requests. So what Cores is, is uh, in fact, in ASP.NET, you can actually enable this. There's, uh, there's actually a module now for like Web API or a package in NuGet. And this is Cores with an X? Uh, C-O-R-S, Cross-Origin Resource right. Sharing. I, I really want to meet like the acronym team that gets together uh, just so I can yeah. like punch them and be like, yeah, that was really clever, dude. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah. Thanks. I have no idea. Like rest representational state transfer. Seriously. Yeah, That makes a lot of sense. That Obviously. makes a lot of sense. But yeah, so it's, you just uh, don't get it, Dan. I, I, and that's exactly what it is. I, I hear that every day from my wife. So I, I know that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But anyway, I know, I know having been to Richard's house before, I know he doesn't get that at all. His wife just, you know, never, right? <laughs> Shit right beside me, man. I can't say anything. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Luckily, mine. Uh, I, on the ice way. <laughs> I shut all my doors. So hopefully, wait, is this recorded? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway. Uh. Uh, 
So what it is is you can uh, there's actually uh, it, for .NET there's actually a, a NuGet package now that I would recommend uh, you can use for like especially for Web API since Web API is all about this you know cross domain type calls um, and or you can go into Web Config and in the uh, what is it System Web Server tag you can add in some little custom header things. Right. That what they'll do is they'll cause the server to send back certain sp- very specific headers that say, hey, I allow cross domain requests. It's very similar to what Flash used to have a cross domain file and Silverlight had a cross domain file you'd have yeah. to do mm. that you put on the server. Very, very similar. Uh, so if they would just enable that, because you can actually, it, it's a little bit scary because as soon as you do that, anybody can call you now, you know, cross yeah. domain. Yeah. And obviously that's not good for, various types of hacker attacks, but you can actually lock it down where you can say only this domain or domains can yeah, call. Yeah, you want to be able to provide a short list. Right. It's like, because usually it's two, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, and, and most of the time, it's the same flippant thing every time. It's the authenticating body and the site. Right. right? And that's and, exactly and it makes sense what it that is. Those two things are separate. It just doesn't work right. And you can even lock down the headers that can be passed. So, you know, if you don't want the accept header, which would be kind of stupid for a RESTful one, but yeah, you could, you could even block that if you wanted. Um, and you can really lock it down. So yeah, I'm hoping they'll, that would, for those that are trying to do what we did, which is a single page app, um, with, you know, whatever the framework is, that would have cut out a lot of, uh, development time because we ended up having to make, uh, there's a couple of ways we could have done it. I could have used like a web API proxy. But we made just a, you know, a HTTP handler. Um, and that handler, uh, is actually what the, the AngularJS app has to call. And then it translates, you know, of course, translate that call into, uh, what gets off to Office 365. So it's kind of a middleman, you know, service. Hmm. So is the voodoo part of your app, the re-entrancy into the spa when you lose a token? Yeah. And that part, um, it is open source, so we take yeah. you know take contributions. <laughs> that part still needs some work. Uh, it works, I'm going to say, for the most part. <laughs> but we were given a very specific time frame to build this in, and they did that on purpose, by the way, because they wanted to say, "Hey, in the real world, what could somebody actually do in this time frame?" Um, and that's why they want us to put the, this fun document. I keep calling it together, right? Which is what, what was practical in time. And obviously you hit some of these hard parts. I personally think like the one thing you want to get away from is ever exiting the spa, you know, yes. to, to do a recovery. Like that whole piece you shouldn't need to write. Absolutely. We, uh, in that particular case, what we ended up doing was, um, we would do a real quick redirect and a physical redirect, not just an AJS call because we couldn't because it was cross domain issues. Right. To, uh, an MVC. Uh, just controller that renders nothing. Uh, and then it just simply, it captures where you were in the spa. And we, we try to pass as much as we can, you know, up on the query string and all that. And then it'll redirect back. So you'll see just a quick flicker. Um, but that's the part that kind of feels caveman-ish mm. a little bit. Yeah. Well, and you know, what you're doing is covering up for another problem, right? Like this is yeah. always that how much of our code is covering up for the failures of others. Right. They were just like, okay, this doesn't work the way it's supposed to. So we're going to do all this stuff to fix or it. Or an earlier version of ourselves, perhaps. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the failure was ourselves. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's you know, like I said, they're this this first thing they've introduced this uh, connected service feature. You know, it's still early in its preview uh, phase. So I'm hoping, uh, you know, based on I know, I know we're not the only ones. I've been talking with uh, Scott Hillier, for instance, a uh, little bit on email. We and Andrew Connell, we've been all three of us because they did another project as well. F- um, theirs is the I'm not on the page now, but it's, I think it's a research uh, tracker or something like that. Oh yeah, the research project code sample. Yeah, I think they they did that one, and I believe that's Angular as well. So they're again they're trying to build out all these samples because like for us, man, when we went to to actually do some of these uh, in Angular, what are called factory calls, you know, out to the RESTful API, which is really our middleman service. There's some very specific headers we ended up having to pass, and there's just not a lot of good blog posts or docs. We found very, very few. So now with this sample and what Andrew and Scott have and, you know, others, hopefully people have a nice little repository they can refer to. Well, and we keep talking about Office here, but it, and it sure looks like looking through the Office Dead chunk here that you could do some really interesting programming for all online uh, interactions of an app that end up generating normal Office documents, Excel spreadsheets, Word docs, and so forth, email. That's what's in Office. So right. it's just, it feels to me like this is our first taste of what an online version of Office has potential for, which is mashups, taking different bits of technology and gluing them together, and you get to include Office in that. Yeah, I think that's going to be huge um, because, you know, that's there's never the one-size-fits-all for apps. No. You know, we, we all, we get into the app, we're like, oh, this is going to take, you know, three months, and then you find out that I got this tweak and this tweak. And, yeah, I think with this, you know, for those that are using Office 365, which... Uh, incidentally, I, I just called, uh, one of my domains had an issue real quick at GoDaddy. So I had to make a call. And of course they gave the, I guess they're selling office 365 now. Right. And, um, it's like amazingly cheap though, not to be a salesperson for it, but, um, it's actually really cheap for what you get. I think pretty sure. cool. Yeah. No, without a doubt. It just, the, I, I have to admit, and it was the nineties. So I have an excuse. Mm. Uh, I actually installed Excel on a web server. So this was, this was a customer with a huge database and they need to do extracts <laughs> from it. And we would literally generate the data set, load it into a spreadsheet and send it to them. Uh, so can you say apartment threaded blocking? Oh, it was hell. And, 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 and yeah, you'd lose control. Some, you know, something would go wrong and we'd have 40 instances of Excel running. I had the same thing, Richard. Yeah. I, did, I did that as well. Yeah. Yeah. We've all, yeah. Okay. So we're, we're all sitting together. I don't here. feel so bad now. Yeah. Hi, my name is Richard. It's been 10 years <laughs> since I've had multiple instances of Excel running inside my <laughs> web server. Hi, I'm Dan and I try really hard. I, I did slip about a week ago, but I'm trying really hard not to awesome. do single apartment threaded, you know. <laughs> So, you know, this this feels like it's back and it's not going to suck. You know what I mean? Like, that this this could... That was always actually a good idea, that right. folks actually want a spreadsheet or they want a document correctly formatted. Like, that's what they want. It's just that what we had to do on the back end to make it work was horrible. Yeah, or we didn't do it because, you know, once it didn't work, it was, we had, you know... So, you know, now it seems like your biggest challenge is convincing people that that phantom pain isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, get them over the scars. I remember you talk about code to clean up ugly code you wrote. Yeah. I wrote a service that killed orphan Excel. And yeah. yeah, dude, I did the same exact thing, man. 
Well, I think I I used I was doing it with Word docs. This yeah, was a this was a thing that need to print out a um a certificate, and they wanted to use Word. Nice. Yeah, and of course they well, said, and "Sure, that should work." <laughs> for obvious reasons, right? Like they, they, there was this was not a bad idea that people want a Word doc. Right. It's just that the code was horrifying. Yep. So to me, this looks like, hey, this API call, we could generate a document and send it down and not not have all those management problems on the server. That's pretty exciting. Like they, it opens the door to a whole bunch of remarkable capabilities. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to use, uh, did you ever use Excel for screen scraping? Uh it was phenomenal at screen scraping because uh, <laughs> you could write a little VBA code and we actually had a whole app that drove an entire intranet from Excel, nice. the, the dynamic external data anyway. So you'd uh, write this VBA code and it would uh, basically suck in the web page and the web page would uh, place everything. And back then everything was tables anyway. Yep. So it would just suck it right into Excel, and then you would just have to write a little code to say, okay, go to cell A, you know, five or, you know, whatever, and then suck out the data. Nice. Made it a lot easier. No regex required. Uh, ah, yeah. Yeah, no, I used the DOM object and got really, really good at writing XPath. Yep. <laughs> yep. Cool. Well, I think that's a show. Unless yeah. you got anything else you want to lay on us, Dan. Oh, no, I think that uh, was, was plenty of fun for the day. So thanks for having me on again, guys. You bet. All right. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.